You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today we're going to discuss an often overlooked but growing kind of crime, wildlife trafficking. The demand for commodities like rhino horns and elephant ivory has led to sprawling trafficking rings that profit from the continued decimation of wildlife species. My guest this week, Andrea Crosta, is the executive director of Earth League International, an organization that has been called the CIA of wildlife trafficking. Earth League is an undercover investigations and intelligence agency that infiltrates and exposes the criminal networks at the center of the illegal wildlife trade. Andrea Crosta, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Could we start with your describing for listeners how this uh, Earth League International came to be and what its mission is? Yes. I was in Kenya in 2010 uh, for my previous job. I was uh, I was a security consultant uh, for um, high-profile individuals with uh, a lot of security problems, let's put it this way. And um, I was consulting the former prime minister of Somalia uh, who lived in Nairobi back then. And in 2010, we were right in the middle of the elephant poaching crisis when we were losing 40, even 50,000 elephants every year for the ivory, for the ivory, for the ivory trafficking. I was right in the middle of it. Uh, I went out uh, with the rangers several times and I witnessed those, you know, those terrible scenes that you can probably imagine entire families of elephants um, destroyed, killed by, you know, with AK-47 by poachers. And, uh, and I started to, um, you know, I talked to the rangers and I could almost see a question marks on 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 the head of the rangers you know they the whole world was asking them to solve this problem and environmental crime so wildlife crime is part of environmental crime is the fourth largest criminal ent- enterprise in the world almost 260 billion dollars per year and I thought it was unfair to ask the rangers to solve it. Um, it's like uh, asking the local sheriff to solve uh, narco trafficking it's, it's simply not right. And so I started to ask around, okay, who is using professional intelligence to fight back? So who is using professional intelligence in the same way it is used to fight other global threats like um, terrorism or organized crime or narco-trafficking? And the answer was nobody. 
and I found it absurd. And and that was the reason why uh, big traffickers, big international traffickers behind this whole thing could work, operate undisturbed for decades. And so I decided to drop my job and to create one day the first CIA for the planet. So I want to get into your techniques and methods in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to get a sense of the kinds of criminal activity or bad conduct that you target. We talked about elephant poaching a second ago. What are the other kinds of things that you see that are terrible that you're trying to combat? Yeah, first of all, we don't operate uh, at poaching levels. So we don't go after the poachers. We We go after exclusively the big international traffickers. Poachers are very, poachers or illegal fishermen, for example, are very often poor people living in the middle of nowhere and try to make a living. So you, you, you can imagine the temptation when in Africa, someone, a trafficker, uh, offers you three, four, five years of salary to kill an animal, to kill an elephant, uh, when you don't have, when you don't have anything. And maybe you have a, a family of 10 waiting for you at home. Of course you do it. Uh, so we go after only the big international traffickers um, who usually are part of sophisticated international transnational trafficking network, trafficking syndicates. And they have their hands in pretty much everything. Um, so they can traffic at the same time. These are people that can traffic ivory, rhino horn, pangolins, uh, tiger parts, timber, all kind of, uh, you know, shark fins. Um, some, some of them are even in, into illegal mining. So it's a, it's a variety of environmental crimes. Wildlife crime is part of it. And the interesting part uh, is that um, these individuals are often into other serious crimes, and that is called environmental crime convergence. So while they are trafficking ivory or shark fin, they're also into money laundering, human smuggling, narco-trafficking. So we approach uh, this project from a very unique point of view and uh, at the highest possible level. And how much support do you get from the U.S. government and other governments around the world? Um, So we collaborate with the the U.S. government and other governments around the world. Um, In the United States, we routinely share our confidential reports uh, with at least uh, four or five different agencies. By the way, two weeks ago, there was a big uh, uh, operation. Um, U.S. law enforcement arrested two of the most important uh, wildlife traffickers ever arrested on U.S. soil. It happened near San Diego, and we were part of this operation as well. Um, sometimes we um, collaborate with governments, uh, you know, with other governments. We, in the past, we work a lot with, we share information, we help the government of Bolivia, uh, of Peru, of Mexico, Thailand, South Africa. We don't get support from them. So it's important to understand that... Uh, You're not funded by governments. No. Our, we, sometimes we can apply for, you know, grants like everyone else. Sometimes you apply for grants, sometimes, and then you might lose or win. They're usually very complicated to put together, and we are a small organization, so it's a big task for us to apply for a grant. Sometimes we do it together with partners, but we don't get uh, money directly from them. So that's an important thing to understand for our donors, that uh, the money we get from private individuals, foundations, and you know, family offices, that money is used also to support the work of law enforcement agencies. You mentioned a big operation in the last few weeks 
and there were two targets that were taken in. What, what was their Correct. conduct? What are they alleged to have done? So they've been trafficking um, seafood, shark fins, and uh, totoaba for a long time. Totoaba is a fish endemic of uh, Baja California, Mexico. And um, they actually, it's it's for the Chinese market, for the traditional Chinese medicine. Um, they actually don't want the, the whole fish. They just want the fish bladder, the swim bladder, sorry, the swim bladder. And it's very expensive. You know, the fishermen in Baja California can get uh, three, $4,000 for one swim bladder. And the same swim bladder is then sold in China for thirty, dollars even $50,000 a piece. We actually film in China one swim bladder at $100,000 why is the, Why is the demand that high and why is the price so high for something like that? Well, it's uh, it, it's it's complicated, but the demand is, is strong. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, according to traditional Chinese medicine, the swim bladder of this particular fish is uh, very helpful for uh, your blood and also for pregnant women. So, and there's so there is a very strong request, and it's completely legal. And the problem of this particular fish is that the bycatch the, uh, of of this of fishing totoaba is the vaquita. The vaquita is a, a small porpoise, uh, also endemic, of, so a, 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 a relative to a, a dolphin, uh, also endemic of Baja California, and it was completely destroyed because of, of the you know, fishing dish. And now there are maybe less than 10 individuals left. It's the rarest mammal in the world and completely wipe out because of this illegal fish. So we try to, we have been trying to work on this problem for the past five, six years, and the persons arrested were deeply involved in this, uh, in this trafficking. Are there um, other animals or categories of animals that are most at risk because of human action? Many, of course. Uh, of, uh, you all know, of course, uh, you know, a- iconic species like um, elephants, uh, even more rhinos, you know, only maybe 20, 25,000 elephant uh, rhinos are left in uh, in Africa, most of them in South Africa. Tigers, think about tigers. A hundred years ago, we had 100,000 tigers in the wild. And now we have around 4,000. So in, we almost lost all the tigers in the wild in a hundred years. And in this particular case for the tigers, they, again, traditional Chinese medicine, they look for mostly for the bones. And so with the bones, they make wine, alcohol, and then they also want the fangs, you know, for superstitions. So um, that's an example. Another example is the pangolin is one of the most trafficked uh, mammals, armed animals in the world. Again, they want the meat and the scales of the pangolin. Um, We have been working a lot on jaguars in uh, South America. In, in that case as well, they want the fangs and the bones. And of course, then there is, a, apart from animal species, there is, we had huge problem with deforestation. We also work on deforestation, the trafficking of timber, so illegal logging, and then the trafficking of timber. Um, so it, it's a, there are a lot of gigantic problems. Uh, in general, I would I describe this whole thing as the criminal exploitation of nature. That's what it is. Yeah. So I want to talk about what the legal regime is and what laws exist. There's something called the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, which was propounded in 1973. Correct. Can you explain what that is? And is that helpful or not? The site is called CITES. Uh, yes. Um, this convention is uh, has been established to regulate the trade 
of any product from nature, basically. So not only animals, timber, but also not only endangered species per se. So this 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 convention, for example, regulates also all the products for the fashion industry. You know, for example, you know the skins of uh, reptiles, for example. It regulates the trade of flowers, everything, everything from nature. And uh, the problem is that this convention, which is basically the only international um, tool that we have to try to stop trafficking, is a trade convention. You know, the T of CITES stands for trade. Let's not forget that. It's a UN sort of uh, convention, so it works like every other convention. You know, you're probably more familiar with the the COP for climate change. So there are COP also for, for CITES and it takes forever to take decisions. You have, you know, all the parties, all the nations um, gathering every now and then and they make decision, voting. So it takes forever. And that's a great example is the vaquita, this little dolphin, little, little porpoise I mentioned before. A few years ago, I would say five, six, seven years ago, we still had uh, 500 more or less of these vaquitas in the Sea of Cortez. And this is when we started to really lobby CITES, hey, you have to do something. You have to pressure the government of Mexico to protect these animals. And you also have to do investigation on the international traffickers and this and that. And the only tool that CITES has is uh, a ban. So they can ban other products. Uh, and so it's a significant commercial loss for the state. But, you know, we started five, six years ago and only this year, actually these days, if you look at the news, these days they are finally discussing a ban on Mexico and it's a bit too late because the vaquita from 500 individuals got down to less than 10. So it's on the brink of extinction, literally. So if you had the power, what would you do to that convention to enhance it or replace it, uh, both in the United States and around the world? Yeah, well, again, it's a trade convention, so you cannot uh, honestly ask for, you know, they have a small law enforcement, uh, you know, unit, but you cannot ask uh, a trade convention, a trade or, uh, to all, you know, all of a sudden start policing the world and, and, you know, because also they don't have jurisdiction, they don't have the power, they don't have anything. So what do we need? So my solution, I mean, I, what we are doing is that in my opinion, based on my experience, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years, but I'm, I've been in conservation for all my life. The only country at the moment able and willing to do something about it is the United States. And that's why we made this decision uh, some years ago to put a lot of effort in supporting the work of uh, uh, the U.S. We have a long arm. We can reach people also in other countries. We have a set of acts, laws, like Lacey Act, for example, that we can apply to big traffickers. Our focus on environmental crime convergence or the convergence of environmental crime with other serious crimes is also very useful because uh, it offers law enforcement agency at different angles. They can use different laws. To make an example, in the case of a big uh, ivory trafficker or timber trafficker, if the laws, local laws or international laws are too weak, uh, we can provide information that this person or this network are involved, is involved also in money laundering and human smuggling. And you can go after these people for that. I call it uh, the reverse Al Capone approach, right? If you remember, <laughs> Al Capone was taken yes. down for tax evasion. And we are trying to do the opposite. We actually, we are trying to help law enforcement to go after these people for crimes that are more serious than environmental crime or wildlife crime. So this is how we're trying to change the game. Before we go, I, I want to go back and talk about 
your methods and this label that you've been given, the CIA of wildlife trafficking. Can you explain maybe by way of specific example, how the undercover, how an undercover operation might work, how you make sure that the people who are employed are safe? I know this is, you know, I've dealt in law enforcement for much of my life and, and usually they were actually law enforcement agents who were going undercover and it was quite dangerous. How do you address those issues? Yes, uh, so I, I call it the CIA for the planet because I got inspiration from the agency. And I also, when I decided to create this agency, I because of my past, I was connected to agencies and people around the world. So I started recruiting uh, former FBI and former CIA, my right hand, uh, Mark Davis, uh, 28 years with the FBI and the CIA, the, my left hand also in the agency. So we have that mindset and this, uh, and we try to, use within the limits of course we are a non-profit a private entity within uh, within our limits we we try to use the same methodologies especially um when we talk about so-called human or human intelligence so the the core of our activities is the recruitment of sources and informants around the world uh, or in, in the target countries and these are people that can provide us these are people that you know sort of gravitate or around the, these networks, uh, that criminal networks that we investigate, and they provide information constantly. Plus, we have a team of uh, undercover operatives, um, about dozens of them, and they, of you know, different nationalities and different languages, and they are really, with a lot of experience, like, you know, the, our chief investigator has more than 25 years of experience in doing this, and they're really good in basically I wouldn't call it infiltration because, but it's a, it's a very sophisticated social engineering work. Meaning if you want to, uh, if I can oversimplify even more, we are really good in becoming your friend. And then when we become your friend, when we are friends, you will tell us everything we need to know. And we need to know everything about you if you're a bad guy, not just about your illegal activities, but we are also interested in your legal activities because they very often overlap the two. We want to know how you move the money, how you, if you, if you are bribing somebody. And it, so it's a long-term intelligence operations. It's a versus maybe short-term investigations. We, we prefer to put a lot of time in order to really go as high as possible. And then we have a group of crime analysts and their work is to process this incredible amount of data that our team bring back uh, from, from the field. And um, we also do a lot of, uh, work and investigation on social media for example we use a few software and we can follow these people on social media and so we we find uh, for example we're able to identify new links and how different entities and different targets are linked to each other so it's a very sophisticated work and at the very end there is always a confidential intelligence brief which is our final product that we share with law enforcement final question what are you most hopeful about in this work I've been putting a lot of time and effort and, and, and I basically sacrificed my life to this. I think it's happening. We are finally convincing law enforcement, governments, and even, uh, even the media to, you know, to shift the attention from the poacher to the traffickers, okay? If we were talking about narco-trafficking, it's important to go after the big narco-traffickers, not the person who is selling dope here around the corner. That's a waste of time. So it's finally happened after many years of, you know, we, we also, we were in two big documentaries. So we do our part. We have a secret phase, but we also have a public phase. And it's finally happening. People are, and you know, crucial key people and stakeholders are understanding finally that the focus should be 
big traffickers, transnational trafficking networks. And um, we see a lot of traction with law enforcement, especially in the US. So we finally, big traffickers are getting arrested. So maybe, hopefully, something is finally changing. Andrea Krostok, thank you for being on the show and thank you for your important work. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tadashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.